Listen, there are hundreds and millions of people that would gladly trade places with you right now. The fact that you have an opportunity to leisurely listen to this podcast already places you at the top. You have so much to be thankful for. Don't miss what and who you already have in your life. Be grateful and enjoy it. It's Saturday, July 17th, 2021. And today we are discussing the following top stories. The effects of the heat wave and the global warming. The drastic spike in overdose deaths in U.S., Canada churches on fire, Cuba is erupting in protests, and are the Texas Democrats gone for good? Welcome to Lifering, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend and regular co-host Vadim. Hi, Vadim. Hello. And uh, also joining us on this third to last episode of this first season is our mutual friend, Stan. Uh, hello. Nice to be here today. Welcome. What's up, Stan? We're excited to have you uh, on the show as, as a guest host. Um, I'm just as excited to be here today. So Yeah. How are you guys? Not too bad, you know, just enjoying the sunshine as it continues. A little bit cooler this week, which is nice, especially working outside. Right. No complaints about that. Yep. Living the dream. As always. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, last week, uh, no episode because uh, I, I broke my collarbone. That's it. Mm. It's an anticlimactic How'd it happen? one-liner. Were you showing off? Yes. <laughs> you could say so, yeah. I, I was uh, up on a log, which was placed on other two vertically standing logs <laughs> in the form of a doorway <laughs> on the beach. Okay. It was very stable. I walked on it. And um, then I sat down. I was like, okay, I'm done. Because I see, like, people are looking at me. You know, kids liked it. I'm done. It's six feet off the ground. I sit on it, and then it starts rotating under me. Like, it happened real fast, right? So I tried to grab onto it. I rotate underneath, and at that point, gravity pulls me. Or Wait, the log fell on you? No. Th well, the log did fall, but not on my head. Oh, okay. It kind of fell on the side. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's Russian terrifying. letter P. Yeah, and so six feet, shoulder into the ground, upside down, broke left collarbone. It's displaced even still right now. So I opted out of the surgery, and I'm hoping that the gap, which is about like 1.8 centimeters, is going to just fill in with the bone. 1.8 centimeters? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, I think so, yeah. Cause I think millimeters would probably make more sense. So a centimeter is pretty massive. It's pretty big. Yeah. I got to show you a picture later. Okay, maybe. Yikes. Yeah, because 10 centimeters is this big, right? Yeah, 10, 10 centimeters yeah. is like 10 four inches. Oh, about four inches. It's like a crayon, like a new crayon. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's substantial gap. But like at the, at the edge of like, do you want a surgery or not? I'm like, uh, probably not. We'll see. Anyway, so yeah, but now I'm a bit better. I can actually use it. Like I can place, take my hand and place it on the keyboard and type kind of. So it's, I just have to be in a proper position. Fun. Nice. Anyways, enjoy well, what you have. Enjoy okay. your arms and like it's gonna be like six weeks like this, so it's it's kind of bad. But let's get into our top five of the week. So the most hottest and driest place on earth is appropriately named Death Valley. Apparently back in 1913, near another appropriately named landmark, Furnace Creek. Some lads have observed the hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth. So this week, exactly 108 years ago, on a simmering Thursday afternoon, July 10th, 1913, the mercury hit 134 Fahrenheit mark. Have you been there, Stan, to Death Valley? I have been to Death Valley, but I was there during the winter, so peaked at like 70. I was going to say 100, maybe. <laughs> Which is peaked nice. at 100. And it was winter. <laughs> no, just 70. Good strategy. Yeah. Well, I, I heard that winters and springs are pleasant there. That's what the locals said. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. Like, it's just a mesmerizing landscape, you know? Yeah. Something that's different. Well, on Friday, uh, a week ago, it climbed to a record 130 degrees. Uh, same thing happened in August last year. This was, at the time, top three highest temperatures ever recorded or measured on Earth. Now, here in Washington, in our own town, as we talked about it in the previous episodes, we've never hit the 130 mark, obviously. But it sure felt like it at times uh, during this past heat wave. Anyways, now it's over. We have AC unit. You know, everybody's back to doing their thing, living their life. But the heat wave has consequences. And yesterday, well, here's the report from Axios. 
there was this report that they put together in terms of from a hospital, I guess. And I quote, the report found that the Pacific Northwest recorded 3,504 heat-related illness visits to emergency room during May and June period, and about 79% of those occurred during just six days when the heat of the peak wave occurred. The yeah. peak of the heat wave occurred. <laughs> so what they're saying is a staggering uh, 1,038 heat-related illness visits to emergency room in Washington and Oregon occurred on June 28th alone. So that's like one-third of the whole number. So that's that's a lot. In comparison, on the same day in 2019, there were only nine heat-related emergency department visits in these two states. The research has also found that the Pacific Northwest accounted for about 15% of total heat-related illness visits to emergency departments in June, despite only having about 4% of U.S. population. There's a few more things, but the point here... Okay, they do go on to say that the majority of the affected people were... 75 and older like i guess with all of this where i'm going is that this heat wave left a mark on 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 the pacific northwest right like this wasn't a year just another you know hot year this was uh, out of the ordinary and so the, the article concludes with this bottom line which is kind of where i'm heading um quote the new study is another indication that the weather and climate extremes are already resulting in human suffering the heat wave bore climate changes fingerprints scientists have found with one study concluding it would have been quote virtually impossible end quote to occur without global warming end quote now before we go to our critique of global warming here's another consequences that's kind of or consequence of the heat wave that is kind of hard to miss so the, this is a story by Associated Press uh, talking about how on Thursday uh, the wildfire was spreading in Oregon. So the bootleg fire, as they call it, uh, is the largest fire currently burning in the U.S. It has now torched an area larger than New York City and has stymied firefighters with erratic winds and extremely dangerous fire behavior. The fire pushed by winds from the south has potential to move four miles or more in afternoon and there is concern that it could merge with the smaller yet explosive log fire. Oh, and finally, according to our Seattle local Como News, uh, they went on to say more than 150,000 acres of land have now burned in Washington State's 10 largest wildfires this year, with nearly with nearly three months still to go in the wildfire season. Only three of the wildfires are 100% contained, and the estimated cost is obviously rising. So here's my main question. Uh, and by the way, these are just some isolated stories that I picked, right? There's a lot of other things that are happening, a lot more wildfires that I haven't mentioned, a lot of changes. We'll talk a bit maybe during the lightning round, the Europe, what's going on in Europe, right? Right. I think, uh, I mean, just looking at these numbers, they say that only three of the wildfires are 100% contained. I just want to point out that wildfires happen all the time, literally like, you know, thousands of fires in during the season. So it's talking about these three are 100% contained, but it's, I think it's still referring to the te 10 largest wildfires. It's not like, oh, three have been contained, all the other ones are still burning like that. I think that's pretty... Um, yeah, so there's there's a, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Even right now, during... I mean, I don't know, see, and I don't know how it is, I guess, during the regular season. I know there's wildfires, but to say so that they're all over the place? They are. And that the weather hasn't contributed to it? They are. They're, uh, most of them are pretty small, unless there's, like, a heat wave that makes, you know, burning conditions... Which is, I guess, so why volatile. in Oregon yeah. right now. But, I mean, like, just from these this Como News um, mm -hmm. articles, like, only three of the wildfires are 100% contained implies that, like, all the other ones are raging. and um, But, in fact, all it means is that there's seven big ones that are still being fought right now. And, the, I mean, that's kind of... It. All the other ones, they get snuffed out pretty quick. Yep, and, and, and it's worth noting, I guess, that I did look at the statistics. So, usually, we have about 0.9 of... Well, let's see. 900,000 acres burned almost every year. So right now we're at 150,000, which is, I guess, just the beginning. And what they're concerned about is usually most of this stuff happens uh, later summer into the hotter, like, mm -hmm. August months, months, right? Versus now we're, we're seeing it happen, like, at this time. So there's that. And I think the hottest was, was 2015 and 2018. Those were the two uh, biggest where it, like, went above a million acres burned mm -hmm. in a season. So, yes, they happen all over the place. But in your opinion, is there really a correlation between what we're seeing weather-wise and what the proponents of global warming are insinuating? I think to an extent there, there, there probably is some correlation. I know that the, 
Earth does have its natural cycles, so you know mm -hmm. the the average temperature will go up and down, and depending on what you believe. But you know, like <laughs> looking at the scientific mm -hmm. tables, you know, going back millions of years, they'll show that you know there's been quite a drastic change. And and looking at the comparisons, they'll show that right now, currently, we're below the average mm -hmm. of of that. But you know, as Christians, we don't exactly right. believe that the Earth's been here for millions of years. Uh, so looking at you know the two thousand the last two thousand years we are probably at the peak right now but even in the last two thousand years there have been those fluctuations you know around the fifteen hundreds or thirteen hundreds there was another peak mm -hmm. you know like a few centuries where the temperature was above average or that's what they say so I think some of it is is probably due to to human activities and and you know the industrial revolution and things like that but. As far as how much of it it is, I don't know if I can say for sure. It's one of those things where once you start actually defining terms and actually getting into what global warming, what people mean when they say global warming, and like it's also like bears the implication of like the solution that they propose to you know combat the effects. Right. Um, and so you know if we're talking about climate change, uh, we're talking about weather patterns. Um, you know, I don't want to get into conspiracies, but you know, the harp station used to be uh, the, the harp station in Alaska that people right. say emits uh, ELF rays. It used to be like a fringe conspiracy theory, but now it's become much more mainstream. And people talk about it, you know, brings about more legitimacy in the same way that the more people talk about global warming and the fact that we just agree on on stuff that we hear and keep repeating it, that brings it more legitimacy. And so I think it's the same kind of forces at play in terms of uh, in terms of information, in terms of fear mongering. But is there a connection? Okay, so even if uh, so, let's say let's give. I it mean, we're talking. Are there warmer temperatures? Sure, you look at you know historical records. I mean, and, we're, yeah. we're talking about yeah, 1913. You know, yeah, we're on the, an upwards the, trend. That's there's no denying that. We're saying very, that, very say, gradual. Saying that the hottest temperature has been recorded, you know, a century ago. Uh, and we're finally just climbing back to it. Kind of speaks of a cycle. I mean, so so here's the deal, right? We had because you would say we've had all this progress over the past 100 years, which puts a bigger dent than 1500s, 1300s. I mean, we're definitely burning a lot more things, right? And we are uh, definitely messing, I guess, with our surroundings more than before, including you know poking holes in the ozone layer and and so on. Like we're we're all over the place nowadays. But are we really putting a dent? That's, I guess, where the debate still stands because it's just not obvious. Global warning is, has just turned into a kind of a mantra where you can usher in a lot of new policies. Um, and there's plenty of people that want to take advantage of that with malicious intent. But there's also like a um, kind of like how we saw with the pandemic, like there's a moral there's kind of a like a moral stance attached to it. And so I think people people kind of hop onto the bandwagon because it makes them feel like they're part of something that's a positive change and that's. Um, you know, if you were a good person, like you would, you would agree with, uh, with like these policies, like, yeah, we all just need to like take one for the team and, uh, like for the sake of the planet and all that stuff. So it's, it's very convenient, um, political tool, I think. So in terms of end game, I think if, uh, it's good to look back kind of at a timeline of the environmental movement. And so at first, like, I think maybe if you look like in the eighties, recycling was a huge thing, like reduce, reduce, uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. And like, and then there was these images of, you know, a utopia where humanity lives in harmony with nature and all that stuff. Whereas now it's become, uh, it's not so much about saving the planet as just avoiding like these new impending catastrophes that that keep popping up. And so it's like, oh, now if you, uh, like, if we sign up for the climate pledge, then or the what's it called, the Paris Climate Accord, then maybe we could save a fragment of humanity for like in the you know the catastrophe that's coming up in the next twenty years or something. So it's not so much that they have an end game; they just they just keep like have these dire predictions, and it's like, oh, here's what we need to do to avoid it. It's almost like they're trying to delay, or they feel the impending end of the world coming, the end of times as we know it. That could be. And they just spiritually, I guess, seek for other solution than to bow before the king. You know, I, I think we as humans, we do affect climate. Uh, I guess from a political conservative perspective, I can see how too quick of a shift into an unproven territory or technology is risky, especially if there's no hard evidence. But from a stewardship perspective, I can't stop thinking about the fact that we do contribute to deterioration of the world. I mean, we, we've seen the drastic effect we had on flora and fauna over the last you know thousands of years take israel for example which used to be a lush land 
um, you know, historically, today it's pretty dry out there, right? And so many other places around the world, you know, have switched, I guess, changed its climate. So whether it's us or just the age of the earth or whatnot, I mean, we do play some role to it. So I guess what is the position of the Christian, in your opinion, in relation to stewardship of the natural world there's there's things we could do and and we play each one of us plays a role in it uh whether it's you know littering or or collecting your trash recycling uh but there's only so much i believe that we could do as well you know we still have jobs we need to travel we we have to drive our cars uh and then you know there's different things you could look at so it's you could you could say okay well there's electric cars and then you could also for that you can make an argument like Okay, we could get an electric car, but the mining for those minerals, for the batteries, are, are, are done in countries with less regulation. So, okay, sure, our pollution will go down, you know, this much percent, but how much will right. theirs increase to, you know, provide th- these, these resources for us? <laughs> you know, from a Christian perspective, like, I don't think it's something you should beat yourself up about, you know, driving a, a gasoline car, because there's a lot of things that aren't figured out, you know, like currently going on there's like a huge crackdown on like diesel engines and trucks and and their regulations and emissions but it's interesting to think because that has so little to do with like the amount of pollution that goes into the atmosphere so like comparing um, i heard this this week that the 15 largest cargo ships emit more emissions than all of the world's cars put together mm. so it's kind of like they're they're trying to deal with this tiny percentage but you know these things that have such a huge effect you know go unrestricted we think about the damage being done to our planet but you also think about like the pretty much infinite adaptability of everything on this planet in terms of life well thank you to both and i and i think this leaves us with some really good food for thought and uh, i'll finish with this bible verse Maybe maybe it's related to what we're talking about. It's from Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You made vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. 93,000. Think about that number. That's how many people have died last year of drug overdose in US. And so we've seen an increase of 30%. The number of, I guess, people who died from overdose in 2019 was 72,151. Now we're talking about 93,000. The fact is that we have, you know, drug problems is not, by itself, it's not new. So it makes sense that out of hundreds of thousands of druggies out there, people who struggle with drug addiction, people who willingly go into drug addiction, surely you would have some good number of overdoses. But here's what the article by NPR says, quote, Deaths in 2020 from opioids alone were 69,710. They nearly eclipsed the total number of fatal overdose in the previous year, although deaths involving other drugs such as methamphetamine and cocaine also contributed to the increase. So we're talking prescription drugs. People are experimenting, you know, getting stuck using opioid meds as a way, I guess, to connect, disconnect from, from reality. According to Washington Post, a large part of the increasing number of opioid-related overdose deaths is the use of illegal fentanyl in drugs. So the Associated Press reports that 60% of overdose deaths in 2020 involved fentanyl. Now, fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent, apparently, than morphine. So, so this is all tragic. You know, these are the lives sucked out of this world by a chemical that for a small moment removed the worries and burdens of the reality for, you know, these people that we lost, 93,000. Why, why do you suspect there's such an increase in overdose over the last year? I think for sure a large part has to do with, with COVID and, and these lockdowns that were yep. were placed. Just people staying at home, you know, potentially there's different things that could have stressed people out or maybe it was just that free time government handouts of money and and those people that you know previously used these things or were already addicted that's most likely where that money will go 
uh, and so just mm. getting that large influx of cash, I believe that's a possible. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's a possibility. Yeah, I think a lot of it does have to do with the extra free time and extra money in your pocket. The cynical part of me wants to say that people that are living without a purpose and just look to their jobs to give them some routine or, um, you know, anything like that, they can find themselves in, you know, in lockdown having a severe existential crisis. And so I think that that played into it as well. And it's just like, oh, well, not doing anything might as well, you know, a lot of people get into it because it's an escape from uh, from your your problems, I guess. And uh, things you just don't want to deal with. But I mean, if you think about it, you're I know this won't like <laughs> convince anyone <laughs> to kick their habit or anything. But like, because I understand there's things like outside of our control that are at play. But mm-hmm. like you think about it, you're literally incapacitating your mind from being able to like being able to work to a solution to any of those problems. So you're you're basically procrastinating at life. And then it turns into like that's just what you do. Do you, have you have you had a friend or a relative that overdosed? Yeah, uh, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know him in the like in the time leading up to his overdose. I know he was like in a twelve step program and stuff, but um, but yeah, it just it was really tragic and it caused a lot of uh, caused a lot of heartache for everyone in his life. I, I guess that's that's the other part of it is that you know we talk about numbers, they're statistics, but these are also you know people right like we're talking about lives that that have been lost um, you know these are families that that are dealing now with the question of what happened because here's the deal with overdose yesterday i spoke with someone who also lost a friend to overdose and uh, he said you know till this day some people are split whether the overdose could have been prevented or not because it leaves you with a lot of questions Was this an accident you know was this intentional what happened here according to christian headlines Kimberly Sue, the medical director of overdose prevention advocacy group uh, called National Harm Reduction Coalition. The COVID-19 pandemic played a significant role in the increased number of overdose deaths in, in the U.S. last year. Uh, she went on to say the pandemic has led to increased substance use across the board as people have sought to manage stress, isolation, boredom, anxiety, depression, unemployment, relationship and child care issues and housing instability is what she told to Washington Post in an email. So pretty much all the things that we mentioned, right? And this is the real effect of pandemic. And again, we're just exploring these, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm looking at them as a pieces of, a, I guess, big pie, right? Like we're just taking a look at these, each chunk, how this pandemic has not only affected our economy, has not only affected our teens or our schools or our jobs or pretty much everything <laughs> about our life. It also has Brought, I mean, this is 93,000. We talk about the COVID deaths that the America, you know, however you keep them, right? But basically last year we had 300-something, 370,000 deaths. This is one-third of all the COVID deaths. You know, taking that into consideration that, you know, all these deaths with suicides and, and drug overdoses went drastically up because of the pandemic uh, and the lockdowns, which are meant to decrease deaths, uh, I'm, I'm curious... Uh, and this might be, you know, a statistic that might never be found. But what would uh, the death toll be if those lockdowns were not put in place? Yeah, so it's it's hard to compare the pandemic effect to anything that I think humanity experienced before. I think it hits much heavier than even war, like in, on a psychological level. Uh, war at least kind of defines the enemy. War at least defines the enemy clearly. And the losses are not vague or disputable. And here it's like the world is slowly going crazy. For Christian people, the world has always been a crazy place. That's why we fall at the feet of Jesus, because only he has the true bliss. And man, does he offer more than that. And so pondering on this horrifying statistic from last year, I realized that there are people around us who might need an outstretched hand of help. Maybe we just ought to pay more attention. Maybe just be a little more present. Maybe take this time as a wake-up call as a Christians, you know, to be more bold in being the salt and the light of the world and help prevent what's preventable and shine hope to those who are on the verge of losing it. Toby Mack lost his uh, first son, firstborn son, to overdose in October of 2019. It was an accidental overdose of fentanyl and amphetamines. And the life of 21-year-old Tourette McKean uh, ended. So I'll end this by playing a chunk of uh, tribute that Toby wrote after his death titled 21 years you say you turn you would turn it around thought-
thought that you had time to straighten it out Told me that you were my prodigal son But this isn't home Is it just across the Jordan? Or a city in the stars? Are you singing with the angels? Are you happy where you are? Well, until this show is over And you run into my arms God has you in heaven But I have you in my heart Okay, so check this out. At least, they're saying at least 45 Christian churches set on fire in Canada as attacks escalate. Now, that's the title of the headline from the CBN News on July 15th, 2021. But let's back up and see what has led to this all, you know, this this church burning frenzy. Here's the report I heard from Gravitas. Take a listen. The indigenous communities of Canada are living a nightmare on repeat. In recent weeks, more than 1,000 unmarked graves of their loved ones have been found. Another 182 graves have now been discovered at former indigenous schools, the third such find since May. The remains are believed to be of students between 7 to 15 years old. Some bodies were buried in shallow graves only 3 and 4 feet deep. They were found near Cranbrook in British Columbia at the St. Eugene's Mission Residential School. So basically from the late 1800s to late 1970s, more than 150,000 children were forced to attend this residential, these residential schools. They were operated obviously by Catholic Church on behalf of federal government and students were forced to assimilate. They weren't allowed to speak their native language. They went on to say they suffered sexual and physical abuse uh, by the school's staff. And many have disappeared and now were found. So this recent discovery of the remains of 215 children in this one grave, some as young as three years old. And at this point, the remains of nearly 1,000 bodies have been found so far. Most of them from indigenous children. What's your reaction? I mean, that's that's terrible. Uh do we know if there was investigations done to, um, like, I guess the specific the findings, the you know what what these kids died from? All I know is that currently it's under investigation and the graves were unmarked. I could see how it would, it would lead to a lot of outrage. Um, um, it's it's a travesty. Obviously, you know you're you're put in charge of all these kids and you know taking them into your care. Yeah, maybe you have a program to accelerate the, you know, the cultural shift to integrate them into society. But there's uh, obviously like these people were taking liberties that they they had no right to. And yeah, that's 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 definitely tragic. Uh, I remember back in school, uh, I took a sociology class, and and this was one of the topics that we actually covered was uh, not just the Native Americans, but assimilation. There was a lot of back and forth that went on, but I. I remember when we covered the topic of these schools and it was pretty brutal about some of the things that went about in those schools and just how everything surrounding them how they were pretty much forced into them and and ripped apart from families and and it happened that during this time period too that a lot of like those native languages kind of died out because Mm. they wouldn't even allow them to speak them or you know anything like that so yeah, and, and, and most of the time, most of the people back in the days considered them to be below human level, like kind of on a second step below the rest of the people. Uh, and so you, you could you could expect that the treatment reflected that. Now the indigenous community, of course, mourns and is processing this tragic news. Meanwhile, the far left terrorists with Marxist ideology, uh, according to CBN News, have decided to take the matters into their own hands. Quote. 17 of the 45 church buildings attacked that have suffered have suffered fire damage or completely burned to the ground. Countersignal.com reports that the fires and the vandalism spanned six provinces and the Northwest Territories. Some of the attacks have been in the heartland of the First Nations Territory. The emotional response, I guess, of outrage and historical trauma, I think that's justified. But in terms of, uh, I mean, you know, if there's people still alive that were involved in, in the doings of these... Um, you know, assimilation schools um, definitely should be held accountable and, uh, you know, served by, you know, served their, their just reward, or not reward, but punishment. And so I, I don't think that to demonize the church today and act like, uh, like there was involvement in the people that are, 
there today that they need to be punished for? I mean, do you see Jews going to Germany and like burning, burning down like German-owned businesses, or maybe descendants of uh, of people who were involved in, with Nazis? I mean, I was just seeing in the news there was a removal of uh, General Ely statue. Yeah, yeah, right. And so Stonewall Jackson, probably. So, and I was like, all right, so if it was a Hitler statue, right, standing in the middle of our town, would we remove it? Probably, right? Like, we would we would take it down because we, I mean, especially if he stood there proudly, right? And so I wonder to which extent do we go to fix the history, right? To which extent do we, I mean, I, I guess if we would remove it and put it in a museum maybe, right? So that makes sense. But burning... This is obviously an outrageous response, but it's telling of the left-wing inability to deal with the past, or maybe just human inability to deal with the past. In their view, it has to be destroyed, like the history that was burned by ancient warring civilizations, you know, who would wipe out cities to eradicate every little bit of the past. And the nature just keeps living within us. And this cleansing of evil with more evil will only destroy the cleansers. This is hard truth to be faced with, the atrocities that happened are horrendous. And, uh, you know, what we can and should do today is learn the lessons from the past and not to blame the modern society for the sins of the previous ones. But instead, focus on the on the behind-the-scenes atrocities of our own time, of our own generation that are ripping the country apart from the inside out through the rotting culture, the anti-American and ungodly ideologies. How many graves will be uncovered in the future of the sacrificed young men and women, unborn babies, at the altar of the future without God. Hey, welcome uh, to the lightning round, where we take a look at the stories that we cannot spend the time uh, talking about. And, you know, we only have so much space uh, in this podcast. So these are reserved for the lightning round. where We run through them really fast and just offer a commentary and make you aware of what is going on in the world besides the top five. So in Europe, apparently there's been great flooding. According to BBC.com, at least 120 people have died and hundreds more in Western Europe are unaccounted for after some of the worst flooding in decades. So they said that it's because of the record rain rainfall that caused the rivers to burst and basically flooded the whole area. In Germany, the death toll stands over 100. Uh, at least 20 people have died in Belgium. The Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Switzerland are also affected. And, of course, they're tying everything into this and saying, oh, warming atmosphere has actually caused, you know, this climate change and made the extreme rainfall more likely. And, and basically, we should just join the Paris Accord and do whatever Biden tells us to do. Yeah, it's crazy. This article from the BBC says that as many as 1,300 people are still unaccounted for in one of the Western, of yeah, in Western Germany. Like, we're talking about, like, people's lives are up-handed in a bad way. Um, in other news, the president of Haiti, Jovenel Moise, was shot dead in the early hours of July 7th in his home. Haitian police say that there's a group of mercenaries that mainly made up of Colombian ex-soldiers killed Mr. Moise. I think there was also an attempt to uh, kill his wife as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was injured in the attack. And it's interesting because I watched the video where over the megaphone uh, during the attack, it was like, stand down, stand down. This is a DEA operation, mm-hmm. the Drug Enforcement Agency. Mm-hmm. And they were at first talking about how America has a play in this in some way or that it was a set. I don't know. It was it was really weird. I mean, that's exactly what you would do if you were um, if you had an assassination plot and you wanted to throw off the. I mean, they say it's Colombian ex-military. It was kind of like a inside job, you can say. Well, in our country, uh, in LA, apparently, they can't decide. Well, okay, they can't decide. They actually have decided that they're going to put masks back on people indoors, even if you're vaccinated. So, yes, the state says that, you know, obviously, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks anywhere. But LA is special in that sense. And so they're going back to whatever they had before. So does it make sense? Well, as much as everything else. Now, White House invited Olivia Rodrigo to come over and say that uh, young people should get vaccinated because they have no idea how to make them, you know, get vaccinated anymore. So she came in, read a whole statement from the paper, like within 30 seconds or so. Um, 
<laughs> it's not like it was a passionate statement. It was just she literally like came in to do the job. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and we'll see how effective it is. But uh, the elites are just like, how do we reach these kids? <laughs> and later, uh, oh, Kamala posted a picture of uh, her and Olivia in the office. And it was like, we agree. Vaccines, they're, quote, good for you. With number four. That was a reference. Oh, good. Like good for you. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Let's see. Another COVID news. uh, In France, apparently, they decided to... Well, the president issued a warning where he said that they're going to now switch to requiring vaccination for people to go shopping or any other indoor facility that you would usually go, like restaurant, you know, gym. And so there's been a rush of people to get vaccinated after this warning. And some people are putting it you know, comparing it to the whole chip thing, how, oh, now you can't even shop without being vaccinated. That's not, I mean, that's... No, it's not that you can't, it's just really inconvenient. Yeah, you, you still don't. can show with, like, 48 hours proof of negative tests. Like, but it, but it is kind of crazy if you think about it. So before you would do this only, like, if you're going on the flight, right? In France, they want to implement it when you go anywhere at this point. So I have some bad news for all of you coffee lovers like me, and that's that coffee prices are going up uh, one of the largest producers of coffee, which is Brazil, uh, is facing one of the worst droughts uh, currently. Mm-hmm. And, and the production of Arabica coffee beans is down quite a bit. Coffee prices have seen to risen over 18% and, and are predicted to keep rising. So the price of your cup of coffee will continue to increase. Probably not the greatest news, but I guess we'll have to deal with it. Yeah, coffee's already super expensive. I don't know, like, I don't know if I could do this anymore, guys. Maybe not the biggest, but one of the factors was these lockdowns as well, because people relied more on uh, on their home coffee and, and investing into coffee machines. And, and when it's something that's in your living room, maybe someone that never did before does that now. And so not only that, but there's also uh, with the ports, there's the delays uh, with importing coffee. Uh, so all those factors are playing in on it. And, and they're predicting that there's going to be a shortage of coffee beans. So there's a building in Toledo, Ohio, that has a, a work of art on it that depicts Mr. George Floyd. Unfortunately, on Tuesday, it was struck by lightning and it came toppling down like if you guys look at pictures of it like it's it's pulverized and so it was a brick wall right yeah that literally like it kind of fell apart just where his face is because on the sides you could still see the Mm -hmm. the rest of the art right yeah so i mean that caused some speculation i guess uh donald trump jr posted on social media that uh, i mean you have to wonder if someone like a higher power is telling us something here (laughs) obviously what happened to George Floyd shouldn't happen anywhere, but uh, objectively speaking, uh, you know, given his history, I'm not sure turning him into a deity and a role model for our children is exactly the right idea either. Um, so that's the take from Donald Trump Jr. What do you guys think? It seems like the lightning was very intentional when it came to this picture. Yeah, I mean, like, imagine if the General Lee statue was struck by lightning, like, if people would make a oh that would be that would make be connections nice. there like yeah you know. yeah i i can't really add anything other than it just happened to hit directly like, like it's kind of it's almost surprising it's not even off to the side it's just like smack in the middle in yeah, the like face this like this wall has other art on it <laughs> it just happened to like completely destroy his image i he also was wearing a crown it seems like it struck at the crown, like at his face and down. So it attracted the lightning. <laughs> <laughs> they used the metallic-based paint. So. <laughs> Not funny. Some, somebody, uh, somebody put a lot of work into that. It was, um, <laughs> All right. According to Daily Wire, uh, drug cartels took over a large tract of the desert during pandemic to grow illegal pot, according to the sheriff. So basically what happened is uh, drug cartels... Uh, set up shop in the desert during the pandemic. I guess they took um, the uh, opportunity when everybody was focused on dealing with the crisis. And even though uh, recreational cannabis, they say, um, the the recreation of cannabis sales became legal in California in 2018, the high taxes, strict regulations have resulted in a thriving black market. So they took to the desert and set up uh, their little farms down there. By the way, the Democrats want to decriminalize marijuana all across America at this point, like on a federal level. They don't have to hide anymore soon. So Kickstarter uh, 
crowdfunding platform uh, took some lessons that they learned from the time of during the pandemic and and they're trying to implement a four day work schedule so you'd work 32 hours a week but it would not impact salaries is what they were saying so you'd still get paid for the full 40 hours but you would only work 32 hours a week uh, i'm not really sure how that's really sustainable uh, maybe for some company to, it, it is uh, i almost feel I, like I, this I, is more of an office thing yeah yeah think it, production well maybe you could line up schedules like if it, say factory for example you could line up schedules where two shifts would come in right? yeah one would yeah. pick up from midweek and Maybe for some of the larger companies or, or depending what exactly what kind of product they're supplying as a company, it might be sustainable. But for smaller businesses, that would probably not be ideal. But, and but if work. the whole culture switched to that kind of mentality, then that would have been great. Uh, so in previous episodes, we mentioned a little bit uh, about Britney Spears and her conservatorship. So she was in court. I think she had an opportunity to like choose her own. Yeah, court. yeah. So, so she she like testified in court and demanded to be released from conservatorship, uh, telling the judge that, you know, there should be basically that people took advantage of her. That she wants basically at the end she was allowed to hire her own lawyer and the process will start to get rid of the conservatorship. I think that's I think the whole point of this right is that she's allowed to have a lawyer now, on her side. Uh, she went. I'm looking at this article. She says that. She made more claims against her father, including getting her driver license taken away. Uh, this is according to Variety. Not being able, not being allowed to drink coffee, not being able to choose what she wants to eat, and having her pink hair vitamins taken away from her. But anyways, now she's getting a lawyer. It's kind of a crazy situation. L- looking at how it, it looks like it, at least from a side, that she's being used in terms of her money, fame, and you know, wealth, I guess. Next story is really cool. We've got researchers at UC uh, San Francisco uh, working on developing a speech neuroprosthesis that basically enables this man with severe paralysis to communicate in sentences just using his mind. It translates the signal from his brain to the vocal tract directly into words that appear as text on screen. Signals from the brain to the vocal tract, and then they're trying to match it up with the words that have been... Yeah. This is... This is crazy. Yeah, somehow they like trained the machine to recognize like the electrical impulses from his brain to like be associated with certain words, and so um, yeah. And so I was I was watching that video that you posted, and so somebody said in the YouTube comments that like if they were able to associate the the impulses with the with like a sound that he would make, then they could actually have a lot more variety in in his speech because I think the way uh, they have it now is like he there's like a 50 word vocabulary and you can combine them in different ways. This is crazy because we're entering into the like I, I feel like this was the breakthrough that stood in the way of mind reading. Add to that the insights that we get from our knowledge of psychology, for example. We can predict a ton of things, right? We can read into different cues and everything. Add to this uh, the power of AI and give it a you know couple decades and you will have a very powerful mind reading machine that might not even require to be connected to you. Which is going to open up a whole can of worms ethically and like what the future will hold. Like we think we have problems now. Wait till this technology develops even more. So it's kind of exciting, Wait, how, but at the same time, it's really weird. How are they going to read it without connecting it to you? Because isn't it like, it, they, it's like all, all across his scalp, right? No, it's in Except a particular area actually on his left side that sends the signals to your vocal cords alone. But oh, here's okay. the deal. It, it's all energy, right? It's all electricity, if you will. So if we can read the, the magnetic impulses, right, from a distance... Uh, wait till this technology develops to a point. I mean, again, it's all a matter of progressive improvement, right? So Richard Sherman, who was a cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks a few years ago, uh, was arrested earlier this week uh, after he was driving under the influence, crashed in a construction zone, uh, and then tried to break into his in-law's house. Uh, He then, he appeared in court, uh, and he did post a, a tweet saying that he's deeply remorseful for his actions. Uh, he said he's been dealing with some personal challenges over the past several months. Uh, I don't, no specifics were really given, but... He apparently tried to go through a road that was closed off, or there was construction going on, so he smacked into a barrier. Uh, all his four tires were down, and so he still tried to get away in that, but it didn't work, and so then he 
went on foot. So after his uh, hearing on Thursday for terms of his release, he was ordered not to have contact with his father-in-law, who was the person's house he was trying to break in. Uh, and he was not to use alcohol or any non-prescription drugs and not possess a weapon. So in other news, according to uh, Q13 Fox in Seattle, um, there are now two confirmed cases of the Delta variant of COVID, which originated in India um, as of Thursday. So, um, oh, yeah, it's in Skagit County, um, as opposed to the entire state where the Delta variant makes up uh, 28% of sequenced cases. There are two cases in Skagit County, but there have already been quite a few all across Washington. So it's here, I guess. Yeah, the Delta variant <laughs> is here. <laughs> Hide your wife, hide your kids. That's all for your lightning stories for today. Welcome back to all of our listeners. We're going to blast through these last two stories. Uh, We got some doozies for you today. When we look at nations through the lens of history, we see a history of implemented ideas. Uh, We have plenty of examples of this today, but this one has claimed the spotlight in this week's news. Two nations that have essentially parted ways because of their leaders' philosophies are Cuba and the United States. Ever since the original embargo uh, in the early 60s, these two nations were set to uh, stand the test of time in their own respective ideologies. Leaders of Cuba have maintained that government should be entrusted with control over things like production, property, wages, and uh, how much things cost. USA, on the other hand, has been kind of a last bastion of capitalism and free market practices at all costs. The idea that individuals should compete for profits. I know I'm glossing over a ton of nuance because we're limited on time, but the differences in living standards since the embargo between, say, Florida and Cuba, the the differences are huge. You know, pictures of Cuba show, you know, candid shots, uh, everyday life. Uh, It shows almost like a snapshot of America's 1950s mixed with uh, kind of like a post-Soviet Eastern Bloc poverty. Uh, You know, there are cars that were imported from the U.S. in the 50s that are maintained uh, out of necessity, uh, but also people living in these kind of underdeveloped, impoverished conditions. So uh, to the credit of the Cuban government, the pandemic uh, seems to have been handled pretty well. They have one of the lowest mortality rates for COVID in the world. Uh, However, the side effects of the pandemic, like uh, no tourism, uh, harsher sanctions from uh, from Trump's presidency and Venezuela no longer delivering them oil uh, plunged Cuba into an economic crisis and food shortage, the likes of which they haven't seen since the collapse of their most powerful ally, the Soviet Union. So they've been kind of in this, uh, they've kind of been in this crunch the last year or so. Uh, and this brings us to recent news where the people of Cuba, uh, they're fed up with rapid inflation, constant electrical blackouts. Um, severe lack of food and medicine. Uh, these people took to the streets. Uh, since Sunday, there has been thousands uh, gathering for protests in 25 locations across the island. Some videos uh, show crowds of Cubans marching, saying freedom and we have no fear. The government quickly initiated a blackout of social media platforms, cell service, and internet service. Uh, this blackout was complete by Monday. So um, have you guys heard much about these protests? I know we're used to hearing about them, you know, Central and South America, but uh, does this uh, this eruption, does this seem a little bit different? So they were saying that this is for the first time in 62 years, uh, they're risking lives basically from one end of the island to the other to demand accountability from the regime, according to NBC News. Yeah, it's happened everywhere but Cuba, right? So in Cuba, yeah. I guess they were... The, the government cracks it. down fast. Right. So at this point, I guess it, it's gotten so bad with the whole... And I, again, I'm, I know it sounds like a broken record, but pandemic has played a huge role in this. Uh, you know, and probably that's why they took a hit economically. But this seems to be more than just economically. This seems to be like really a, a call for freedom that before was, uh, you know, only from outside of Cuba. Now, like the Cubans themselves said enough, like we're ready to, I guess, stand up and really fight for this I, I think it's different in a sense that it's a country that you, you could say like if we heard that this is happening in north korea that would be very surprising right i guess it's 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 always relative to the regime that is being protested against and so in this case it's like we're seeing here's what socialism did in cuba we want socialism in america so it's really nice to see right now this contrast in yeah, so I've heard about these protests, and apparently there is a reported death already. So it's not like just, you know, I'm worried down the street. There seems to be some serious uh, conflict between the, the protesters and the government. Uh, but where it escalates to, I guess we'll see from here. And uh, I hope that it does benefit the, the residents of, of Cuba. So 
Well, let's take a look at the the political response. So the president, Miguel Diaz-Canel, he, so he's blaming the U.S. embargo for causing most of the suffering that sparked the protests. Um, basically like, oh, if, if the U.S. you know traded freely with us, we wouldn't have any of these problems. Um, AOC was quick to pick up on this and to take the opportunity to virtue signal uh, that the embargo is oppressive and cruel. Uh, the leaders of Black Lives Matter uh, also released statements calling America racist. Uh, here's a quote. So Black Lives Matter condemns the U.S. federal government's inhumane treatment of Cubans and urges it to immediately lift the economic embargo. Uh, this cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans' right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis. Since 1962, the U.S. has forced pain and suffering on the people of Cuba by cutting off food, medicine, and supplies, costing the tiny island nation an estimated $130 billion. The people of Cuba are being punished by the U.S. government because the country has maintained its commitment to sovereignty and self-determination. Uh, United States leaders have tried to crush the revolution for decades. Instead of international am- amity, respect, and goodwill, the U.S. government has only instigated suffering for the country's 11 million people, of which 4 million are black and brown. So the embargo, um, in 2000, the embargo was uh, s- uh, loosened up a little bit, I guess. So they actually are allowed to import food and humanitarian supplies uh, ever since 2000. So I think it's a little hyperbolic to act like the, you know, the U.S. government is trying to like choke the country of Cuba to into like submission to capitalism because they are allowed to. I mean, yeah, it was a really strict embargo from the 60s on, but I mean, that's that doesn't mean that they can't trade with other countries or anything like that. Maybe you guys know more than I do about that. But Senator Marco Rubio, who happens to be Cuban-American, not that that qualifies him to speak on behalf of Cubans, but uh, he also made a comment about the situation. Um, he said, quote, The U.S. is the largest provider of food to Cuba and each year sends $275 million in medicine and $3 billion in remittances to relatives. The suffering in Cuba isn't because of an embargo. It's because socialism always leads to suffering. Hashtag Cuba SOS. So what are your opinions on, I guess, the causes or maybe maybe go a little deeper into the embargo if you'd like? Uh, is this just another excuse to bash Trump? I can't say that I disagree with Marco. We kind of know. Well, maybe us personally, we don't. But from our parents and our grandparents, we know what kind of the socialistic and, and, and communistic kind of government looks like it and and how it influences the livelihood of people is is, never seems to turn out great so um and knowing that you know uh, like the quote you read we know that blm openly supports these kind of uh, governments so obviously they're going to be first trying to find something else to blame whether it be trump or these embargoes or whatever else but in the end it is the cube was able to do whatever they want um, they are sovereign, so some country were to stop trading with us. I'm sure the U.S. would just, you know, find another place to source it. Or so, especially, you can't, especially you can't, when you have decades to do that. Yeah, so so you you can't fully just blame. Oh, U.S. doesn't want to trade. That why that's why they're in poverty. There's you know much greater things at play here. I believe. So where Cuba is today, right? You could blame it on all these external factors. Oh, you know, the rest of the world doesn't want to line up with our socialism or our communism, right? At the end of the day, isn't the whole point of you being different from the rest of the world is to prove that your system works and you want to go at it alone, that's 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 your choice. I know that Daniel's dad went, you know, to visit Cuba and he said that it looks like a it's been it's stuck in time, right? And I think you mentioned it in the beginning of the show. Stuck in time, you know, stuck in fifties and sixties you still see a bunch of Soviet-era uh, machines and, and and cars and buildings and whatnot and posters, all of that from those days. So to me, this looks not so much as, hey, let's try and, uh, you know, point the finger to America and blame America for what's going on. This seems like a regular Black Lives Matter rhetoric where let's find uh, an oppressor, let's make them feel like a victim, and then let's find whoever is oppressing them, which is the big guy that we want to overthrow. And that's that's what it seems like here. I mean, every the, they're a sovereign country. They could. We, we talked about this, the same situation with Hamas, right? They have the resources. How they distribute those resources is the question. And we know that one of the biggest culprits or uh, fails of, of socialism or communism, if you will, is that there's somebody at the top still 
and usually those who are at the top get an unbelievable amount of money and power and usually they don't handle it well especially if it spans over decades 55 out of 383 people who were detained nationwide have been freed according to cubalex a human rights group based in u.s so there's still 300 something 330 people that are detained this is not a country looking to see any kind of reforms yeah, I'm glad for a chance to talk about Cuba because they're living under such a conservative socialism uh, that it, it's really one of the best curations we have of what life was like in the Soviet Union uh, in the 50s and 60s. You know, you have the long lines for food, almost like a paternalistic government uh, that gives you ration cars to buy basic goods. Uh, you know, they, they create greater dependence of the people on the government um, out, of this, out of this poverty. And so people are very easy to manipulate if their only worry is that, uh, you know, where's the next meal coming from? But just like in the former Soviet Union, the country is full of very resilient and hardworking people. And there comes a time when people are pushed to a breaking point. I, you know, I wish the people of Cuba a bright future, uh, that their voices are heard even through uh, information crackdown. Um, you know, these regimes are very top heavy and they quickly dissolve themselves with enough resistance. I'm, I'm excited for the prospect that Christianity has uh, if the country has reforms. Uh, to provide people with more freedoms. You know, I, we've seen the gospel spread leaps and bounds across formerly atheist Soviet Union. Uh, I hope to have the same in Cuba. All right, so next up is something a little closer to home, and that's in Texas. So the Texas Democrat uh, House members made headlines this week after 51 of the 67 Democratic House members uh, made their way to Washington, D.C. when they were supposed to be voting on uh, a piece of legislature, which was uh, voting restrictions. Uh, on July 12th, the Texas Democratic House members walked out so that they would break quorum. And uh, so what quorum is, is uh, the minimum number of lawmakers or, or House members which are required to be present and vote to be able to pass a law. And uh, if less than that amount of lawmakers are present, then the legislature is not able to be passed. It's not able to be voted on. And that's uh, two-thirds of the total amount of the House members. So it's important to note that uh, this isn't the first time in, in Texan history uh, that this happened. Uh, two similar situations have occurred, uh, the first being in 1979 when 10 members of the House decided to hide out in a two-car garage for, uh, it was like four or five days. Uh, so by doing this, the bill was never never passed. It was, it was, it was pulled down uh, because quorum was broken, so they weren't able to vote on it and eventually they just had no other choice these these members were named the killer bees uh, so if anyone that rings a bell yeah but recently with this most recent one they right. they kind of killed they they called them the killer d's so <laughs> um, due to democrats so right. yeah but hiding in the garage for four or five days yeah yeah so they had like law enforcement go there but there wasn't much <laughs> that they wow. were able to do uh, this happened again in 2003 uh with kind of a redistricting uh, mapping situation uh, and, and those people taking the killer bees as an example, uh, in the first round of walkouts, 50 members left to Oklahoma uh, so that quorum would not be met. And they left also just for a handful of days. The second round uh, included 11 senators leaving to New Mexico for over a month. Uh, the legislature was passed, though, uh, when one of the senators I mean, eventually you have to give mm -hmm. in. And so one of the senators came back, quorum was met, and the legislature was voted in. This time, the House members fled to Washington, D.C., uh, where they went not only to break quorum, but also to draw attention and advocate for a couple of voting right bills. They kind of show a lot of determination, you know, whether camping out in the garage or, or leaving their families for over a month to, you know, another state and, and now, you know, leaving to to Washington, D.C. Uh, they seem pretty determined. Uh, the lawmakers which had departed to Washington, D.C. plan on staying there till August 6th, and that's kind of when the time expires for this special session, uh, which was initiated by the governor to pass this legislature. Uh, and in this set time period, 10 other legislatures were also set to be voted on, which included topics such as abortion, critical race theory, and transgender athletes. And although the remaining of the House members uh, voted for the call of the House, which would allow for Texas law enforcement to bring in the missing Democratic members, little is able to be achieved 
though through this because as the members left the state, um, the Texas law enforcement doesn't have much jurisdiction outside of the state. So they're able to stay in Washington, D.C. for as long as they, they want. And if they stay past this August 6th deadline, then uh, the special session will end and either they return then the governor could initiate another special session. So we'll see how it all plays out in the end. But the specific legislature, which was being voted in at this time, was House Bill 3. And, and this House Bill 3 would uh, ban a few things, such as drive through voting, uh, would ban 24-hour voting, ban unsolicited mail-in ballots distribution. Uh, it would harshen, or not harshen up, but just kind of tighten up ID requirements for mail-in ballots. Uh, it would protect and enhance the power of, of poll watchers as well. And most of these don't seem like they would restrict anyone's ability to vote as drastically as the de Democrats are putting it out to be. They're saying that the bill is detrimental for people of color and, and disabled people. It really isn't, as voting is not that hard and, and getting to a voting station is not difficult either. I know that borderline situations could be drawn out and anecdotal kind of examples could be brought up. But the truth is that most of those never occur or rarely occur. But what we see here is that mail-in voting isn't banned completely, uh, just tightened up with extra checks such as driver's license numbers or a social security number for verification. So I ju I'm just curious what you guys think on these voting regulations specifically and national regulations. Yeah, I can't really speak on on these specific restrictions. I guess the House Bill 3, is that what it is? Yeah. I, I can't really speak on that because uh, I live in Washington and we just mail in our ballots all the time, so to say how much this would actually impact like a, a practical like going out and trying to vote definitely wouldn't think that it targets you know it targets like a certain group of people in terms of national restrictions um i know that these will get lumped in with all the rest and biden's going to go out and compare uh compare people to jim crow uh because because this just kind of adds to the number uh like in his speech on was it tuesday or wednesday uh, where he he talks about like this year alone, 17 states have enacted 28 laws to make it harder, uh, and there's 400 additional bills. Um, Republican uh, members of state legislatures are trying to pass, and he's saying it all has to do with uh, like restricting access to vote. Whereas some of them, if you actually look into it, it's like, uh, for example, Alabama House Bill 285 requires voting machines to be installed and only operated indoors, and stipulates that election workers can't take ballots in and out uh, except when they're moving them to be counted. Um, and so Oklahoma House Bill 2663 actually added hours to vote early and in person because some voters in the state. Uh, were in long lines last year. Um, so a lot of them, they're making changes to voting requirements, but it's not necessarily being restrictive or making them less uh, reliable. I mean, a couple other ones, right? Nevada uh, Senate Bill 84 simply changed the numbers of registered voters in each precinct from 3,000 to 5,000. Another one, Utah House Bill 12, required the state to remove the information of voters who are confirmed dead from its rolls. So a lot of these changes are being put into effect. I mean, it's it's improving the election process rather than rather than um, you know, to saying that it's targeting people and and like removing certain people from the pool of eligible people, I guess. Well, listen to this quote. Senate Democrats stood united to protect our democracy and the sanctity of the vote. We must pass the For the People Act. It's a national imperative. We'll be asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? This isn't about Democrats or Republicans. I guess for, for, for Democrats, this was a way to work together, you know, by not working at all, right? Like they literally just left their jobs and... <laughs> And yeah, and he obviously said like things, you know, that this is not about Republicans or Democrats when it clearly is because there is no efforts, I guess, to reconcile the differences, to work out the bill. There's just we want the Democrats want one thing and the Republicans want another. And there's, there's just we're going to we're just going to block each other until, I don't know, forever. And it's very interesting that they say that as from my perspective, I don't see as in any way taking away anyone's right to vote. It's, it's just 
kind of upholding the integrity of the vote and, and integrity of the election. And, and so the next question would be whether or not uh, repercussions are, are, are seen for those House members that left. And, and the answer is not really. Uh, although the governor of Texas says that they will be arrested, uh, there isn't really much that would back that up in terms of his ability to actually do that. Some suggest that them leaving the state is resisting arrest or evading arrest in, in, in terms of that the house call was, was put in place where law enforcement has the ability to arrest them, but that doesn't have much support behind it either. Uh, what would most likely happen is that they may get detained and brought to the Capitol so that quorum would be achieved, but that's in the case that they do return to the state of Texas. Uh, and so kind of my next question is, what do you guys think in terms of repercussions? Should there be something in place to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that they do come and fulfill their job as House members? Or is that a freedom and, and a right granted to them by this country to not show up? We currently have the same situation in Senate where it's split evenly, uh, right? And with Kamala being the deciding vote. And so, you, you know, they passed recently a bill without any Republican support. Yeah, the COVID relief package, right? So here we're just seeing the reverse of that. That's one thing. Second is they, apparently the Texas did issue, like you said, a, a, an order to arrest them, but they can only go up to the state lines. And so they flee to, you know, some safe heaven in Washington, D.C., which is temporary, which, which is weird because apparently they could arrest them if they were within the state, right? They can literally hunt them, yeah. As far as repercussions for actions, I, I think it's enough for them to be detained and brought to the Capitol so that they could do their jobs. I think punishing them beyond that would be a little bit petty. There's the question of, do you have the freedom to like do this? Um, do you have the freedom to walk out on your job uh, to make a statement? And uh, the answer is absolutely you do, um, but you don't have the freedom to keep your job after that. Like, I feel like if, if you wanted to make a statement, you walk out, that should be equivalent to, um, like, you're opening up the position to be, re to be replaced. Yeah, yeah. resign. That's actually a great point. Yeah, I mean, hold on. So we're going to keep paying them while they're vacationing in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, they're not making average salaries. They're and, you know, I was talking about Kamala. So she actually met with them already when they arrived, you know, so they had this big reunion party, which is kind of odd, right? I mean, when you have the president or the vice president in this case, uh, you know, defend kind of saying, oh, yeah, nice, nice job, you know, keep it up. Then <laughs> what do you expect the rest of the country to do? Yeah, all good points made. And, and kind of my last thing that I wanted to share with the story is, is, is based on some memes and complaints that I've seen online. And and that's just comparing the the uh, a picture that was posted by one of these uh, House members from a plane. And, and none of them were wearing masks and and comparing that to any other flight where masks are, are heavily enforced and to consider that these are lawmakers and, and they're kind of playing playing against their own game. It, it, it's frustrating a lot of people and it kind of shows the hypocrisy behind this all. And uh, I guess we'll see how it all plays out in the future. The special session is in place till August 6th. So whether they, you know, camp out in Washington, D.C. till then, uh, if they come back earlier, uh, different things could happen. And if they stay past, then is another special session going to be put in place by the governor? Or are these bills just going to be dropped? Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We're so glad that you joined us for another episode of Life Rank. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or any other social platform. Also consider sharing it with a friend or family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.